a world filled with fast-paced living and constant demands on the aging body, it's easy to forget some of the simplest yet most essential elements of our well-being, hydration and nutrients. As you know, when I'm not in the studio recording a podcast or in the gym or out in the scrub hunting, putting rounds downrange, I'm somewhere in the world on a security gig, putting in the hard yards, ending up on TikTok. So legends that get some, keep me advancing forward, Jocko Fuel Supplements. More specifically, I've been smashing the Jocko Hydrate Sachets, which helps me replenish my electrolytes and other critical vitamins while boosting energy and supporting recovery. Also, just like my kids, my appetite for veggies goes as far as hot chips from the kernel. However, every morning I'll mix a scoop of Jocko Greens, Jocko Creatine into water, which helps me supplement my lack of and delivers all the nutrients for better gut health, immune support, cognitive function, and physical performance. And not to mention, tastes bloody good. So head over to www.getsome.com.au and use the code Zero Limits all in caps for a discount. I'll leave you with this for the day. Hard work, clean fuel, stronger, faster, smarter, better. Let's go. It's time for the Zero Limits Podcast, hosted by Australian veterans. Chatting with high-charging humans with hectic stories from around the world. We'll give you the motivation to take on whatever life throws at you and the kick to complete any goal you set your mind to. Let's go. All right, I'm doing the intro because Maddie keeps fucking it. So on today's podcast, we've got Ryan Wilson, served 13 years in the military, done some amazing stuff like uh, studied over in uni- University of Indonesia, um, or sorry, studied Indonesian abroad. And the university, I don't even know how to pronounce that. And funnily enough- Well, I'm, you should, shouldn't you? Because didn't you, when you were qualified <laughs> linguist? <laughs> I, I actually was. We talked about this on the podcast. Uh, I kind of made up stuff and uh, we've had this conversation because you've met my uh, partner you, who, who actually lived over in Indonesia and she rattles off Bahasa Indonesian to me all the time and I'm like, oh, I just look dumbfounded at her. If, if you want to hear about this story, check out Troy's, uh, Troy Knight we're speaking to actually, he's co-hosting today. Definitely check out his episode, you'll find out about this story about being a linguist, one of the most t- just typical military stories out there, classic. Oh, I just literally made it up on the run and my uh, lingual skills were you know, pretty much spent eating pizza and drinking beers and then I may or may not have cheated my way through the final testing there. <laughs> but uh, no, Ryan Wilson, he is... Like looking at his bio, he's done everything, and now yeah. he does a lot of stuff with wandering warriors and stuff like that. Yeah, so. yep. And I believe he is part of a distillery, which is you know, look, hopeful. that's not a bad thing. That's not know? a bad thing at and, all. I, I couldn't do it because, and I'm still waiting for Donald Trump to get back to us as well. So it's not <laughs> only distillery. I want some, yeah, I want some buy-in from uh, the American <laughs> side of things. But yeah, well, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. No, thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for uh, thanks for your time. No, no dramas, mate. So, mate, let's just start right off from the start. We want to find out, um, you know, reading for your bio, you grew up uh, in a town south of Perth. It sounds very isolated and very, yeah. So, mate, run us through. Run us through where you grew up, how you went to schooling, and, uh, you know, what led to you taking the next step and joining the Defence Force? Yeah, no dramas. So, yeah, I grew up in a small country town. It's only probably about an hour and a half south of Perth uh, called Waruna. And I mean, 
you know, everyone who drives from Perth to Margaret River drives past it and, uh, you know, but still no one's ever heard of it. It's that small and insignificant. But, um, yeah, all my family's still there and it was a typical sort of country upbringing. Our school only went up to year 10, so I had to go to the next uh, town along, Pinjarra, to go to year 11 and 12 and, uh, yeah, I'm, a lot of uh, people didn't even make that trip. They just decided year 10, yep, we'll go it. out and, <laughs> yeah, come a mechanic or something, which was, you know, I wasn't very good with my hands in, in terms of mechanical stuff. So I was like, oh, I better stay at school because I don't know what I want to do. Um, and that's where, yeah, I was sort of, you know, floundering around at school. I was never really a, a, a top student or anything. And I was big into my sport and as any any sort of Aussie like in the country and that growing up, you know, that's pretty much everything. Your whole life resolve, revolves around sport at that, at that age. Yeah. So I was playing everything I could, footy, basketball, I was in swimming, you know, cricket, anything. Uh, so had that, I guess, real desire to be part of a team and, and something bigger. And, you know, I think – it was around year 11 and 12 or something when I, I you know, we had those career days or whatever where you, you got to yeah, work yeah, out yeah. what you want to do with the rest of your life before you go to uni when you're 16, 17 years old, which I mean, come on, like, yeah, no one knows what they want to do, <laughs> you know, 30, 40 years. Yeah, they expect you to know when you're 16. But, no. but it was around then that I think I um, was got interested, you know, always, always been interested in the army, uh, you know, got Oh, you know, interested by uh, movies and that, you know, like Top Gun and and things like yeah. that. But soon realised how should hard have joined the Air Force, mate. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> knowing what I know now, but nah, back then, don't even don't even th- talk about that. Mate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we don't mind a but, bit of service uh, banter around here. No, no, it's good. I mean, would have stayed in a few more hotels, I guess, rather than out <laughs> Silver yeah. spoons. Stay by the stars, yeah. not under the stars, mate. That's where it's uh, that's where it's at. But no, Top Gun, yeah, r- randomly, like it just got me so interested in it and uh, I, I soon worked out how, how hard it would be to become a pilot, so I gave that up and then uh, decided to focus on the Army. Uh, you know, funny enough, I I studied uh, TE, like so, I don't know, it might be HSC or something over at East, uh, to get into university because uh, I was planning to become an officer. Mm. Because uh, that's what all the career guidance and, and that they tell you, you know, become an officer, do this. So, so I was like, oh, no worries. Uh, so I did study hard and in year 11 and 12 and got good grades uh, and then applied for ADFA uh, and got knocked back. So that was my first sort of, uh, I guess, uh, you know, dealing with failure when it comes to the military. So, and in hindsight, I'm so, so glad I got knocked back because I was a young 17-year-old who knew nothing about the world and, uh, you know, potentially three or four years later could have been in charge of a platoon yeah. of infantrymen, you know, which I, I don't think I would have done a good job. So I uh, got knocked back and they they recommended that I join the Army Reserve whilst I study at a university in, in Perth. So... I commenced my studies in, at Murdoch University and then joined the Army Reserve uh, as a soldier, as an infantryman, mm-hmm. uh, did, did, the, did all the training, went to um, Singleton for three months, did the, the training, same as a ARA infantryman would, just 
I just thought that would be the best way to do it. And, and you know, it's always something that's been with me is that if I was going to do something, I always wanted to do the harder or the, the you know, the most challenging way to do it. So, uh, you know, doing the, the two-week reserve course didn't really interest me. I wanted to go and do, see if I could, you know, actually be an infantryman, same as the, the regular yeah. guys. So, um, and that was interesting and challenging too, because you know, you even though you're there and you're doing the same experiences as everyone else, I was a choco and always was when I was there. So, instructors and that, you know, kind of treat you <laughs> as such. Uh, but yeah, so that's how I got into the, the sort of army reserve. Just going back, mate, uh, did you have any family history within the defence force? Oh, no, not really. Uh, to be honest, not anything particular like uh as with anyone i suppose having a granddad in world war ii or great granddad in world war one you know the usual sort of history but no direct immediate family member that served i had an uncle so my dad's brother who served in vietnam uh in the air force actually and yeah but other than that but you know i didn't have a lot to do with him so other than that no, no no real influence to be honest um was it more the country boy side of things? I know, I don't know how it is now, but back in the day, you know, pre when I joined up or when I joined up, um, there was a, it was very heavily country boy. Like it's just that resilience. It's that you know, not afraid of hard work. And majority of country boys just you know they want to serve their country and they join up. Was it more that side of things? Um, For sure. Yeah, I think that that played a part in it. I think. Uh you know, the fact that, like I mentioned, was, uh, you know, playing a lot of sport and, and I really enjoyed that, you know, uh, team team environment and being part of something bigger. It, it just naturally got drawn towards, uh, you know, serving and, and, and um, duty, you know. So it just, it, it became, I became sort of really interested in it um, at a young age, but uh my i guess my progression to where i got was a bit unconventional wasn't the way that a lot of other people did it but um yeah but I, yeah definitely growing up in the country definitely had an influence uh, oh. impact on my decision Mate, to go from a reservist and no disrespect to reservists because you know you look back at world war 2 and what they did in kokoda and stuff like that but to go from reservist to full blown you know ECN 353 is nothing short of phenomenal. So, and then obviously all the specialist skill sets you picked up from there. Yeah, well, I, and and to be honest, I'll openly admit I probably didn't really know what I was getting myself into when I did selection. <laughs> that's, that's probably a good thing, isn't it? Uh, yeah, uh, and uh, I think someone asked me once before, like, you know, where, how did you get so resilient, and how did you, you know, get through all that? And I said, I, oh, I was, I just didn't know what the hell I was getting myself into. I didn't know what was coming, so. Uh, you know, you, you don't need to be resilient when you don't know what's coming. So, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it, I, I just took it every day, uh, day at a time. But, um, yeah, it was a big change. It was a big step up. And I soon decided, you know, growing up in Perth as well, you kind of idealise and, and uh, the SAS and, you know, I, I read all their books and heard all the stories, Vietnam and in Timor even, and, uh, you know, just sort of seen them as gods drive past the base every now and then. I actually did my year 10 work experience at Swanbourne. Uh, so when I was like 15, they put me in the Q store, which was, you know, it was interesting, but, 
yeah, realised I didn't want to work there, but uh, <laughs> it was good to. You, you, can, good. you can cut this part out, but you weren't passed out with Benny Cousins on the parade ground. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. no, no, no. Well, I just, well, just, well, that is a funny story. He did try and get on the base. Right there, so, yeah, but, uh, and that that is an interesting story when you. Um, Talk about the the security of the base, which uh, you imagine would yeah. have been this, you know, super super no. tight, you know, T one uh, operators and uh, yeah. should have been, and yeah. it backs onto a nudist beach on Cot- on Cot Beach. So that's right, <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, I mean, a lot's changed now. It has, uh, it's very hard to get on the base now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that's good. Old, of course. old Benny Cousins would be struggling a bit now, <laughs> but but yeah, you know, fifteen years ago. <laughs> You know, you, you could almost just walk on. Yeah. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, but, uh, um, yeah, it was a big change going from, from uh, reserves to yeah. the regiment. And, you know, to be honest, that was my uh, first full-time job was uh, SAS. I'd never gotcha. actually had full-time employment until I did uh, did that. So I was a reservist and a uni student all the way up to I was 23, did selection, and then, yeah. yeah. That's, Joint. That was it. Yeah, yeah that's so, pretty amazing, so, mate. So before we touch on obviously the SAS side of things, let's get back to RCB. Obviously, you joined two thousand two. You go to Singer. You get posted to sixteen RWAR. Yep, Royal Western Australian, Australian Regiment. Regiment. Yeah. Yep, that's <laughs> correct. Yep. How do I know Army better than yeah, you? I know. I was, is, yeah, uh, <laughs> I was a Choco too. Yeah. <laughs> Royal, so, well, Royal, a, Royal Queensland Regiment. I was a Choco Air Force. I was Choco Air Force mate. Oh yeah, fucking whole bunch of Chocos here. Yeah, then you uh, you get a, essentially a deployment to RCB, Rifle Company, Butterworth. Butterworth. Yeah. Malaysia. Yeah, Malaysia. Yep. More of a piss trip. <laughs> uh, very much so. Very much a piss trip. I, I find it hard to um, call it a deployment, but uh, it was, you know, as a 19-year-old, I think I was then, uh, straight, uh, straight back from Singleton um, and, you know, straight overseas for four months, I think it was. Um, at RCB because at the time it was over like the Christmas period, I think 2003 over the Christmas period because at the time the the regular army was really busy with Timor and um, other places, maybe even Iraq. Yeah. I, I can't remember the timeline, but uh, they were super busy. So these like uh, RCBs and eventually um, Op Anode in Solomon Islands were handed down to the reservists in, in the – in the Christmas periods, I guess, the times when the regular army didn't want to be away. So we <laughs> would go. But, uh, yeah, I jumped at that. I thought it was great. And that was my first sort of yeah, exposure overseas um, oh, and hadn't. really eye-opening. Yeah. I've, I've done a short trip over to uh, one of the RCBs and, uh, yeah, I have no doubt <laughs> what yeah. – uh, Getting in a tuk-tuk and, uh, you know, having a bit of fun around the place. It's uh, uh, Malaysia is an amazing place. Yeah, yeah, it was good fun, and yeah, it was it a was lot of a lot experience of as well. Yeah, and there was a lot of um, a lot of jungle stuff. As yeah, well. we did a lot of work in the jungle, which I soon realised that I don't like working in the jungle. It was <laughs> absolutely horrible. Like, and I got a, a whole new respect for like the Vietnam vets or mm, mm. Uh, or the World War Two guys in New Guinea, and that. like you know, just living in the jungle was hard work. Yeah. Uh, let alone trying to fight or, you know, someone's out there trying to kill you. Just living in it was uh, demoralising enough. So, uh, you know, that whole, you know, my hat goes off to those guys. Like, yeah, yeah nothing compared to, you know, uh, we'll be over in Afghan in the deserts, you know, in the, in the mountains, open and 
Yeah, much, much harder in the jungle, Come, I think. Coming back to Camp Russell there where, you know, we were looked after with, you know, great food and great accommodation yeah. and stuff like that. It, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with you in that one. The resilience that the jungle can bring, like it's it's needed, I think, in the Australian military, not just the Army, but I reckon the rest of the Australian military should, yeah. except for Navy who are a pain in the ass. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely – But, yeah, it's, it's a – that's challenging, just living in the jungle, just operating in the jungle, uh, let alone, you know, having – having an actual enemy out there. Yeah, so. exactly, mm. exactly. And then Op Anno 2007, your first, you know, somewhat real operation, you know, live rounds in the in the GAT and uh, deploying it on operation. So how did you find that one? Yeah, again, uh, that was the next, I guess, biggest thing I did as a reservist. Uh, jumped at the opportunity again. Uh, and, yeah, it, I guess that was a deployment, so to speak, um, uh, you know, and – Again, so many good experiences happened. I think we were there for like seven months and we got to you know, decent, travel all over Guadalcanal and um, wow. all over the little, all of the islands. and So much, you know, so it, much history around that. Oh, yeah, and you'd be driving along and, um, you know, it'd be like an old tank just from World War II burnt out or, you know, that we would go look at um, do battlefield tours where they're like, oh, this is, this is a huge battlefield. And you look at it, it's quite unremarkable, just a few hills and, you know, and small area, but they're like, you know, this was where entire divisions were fighting each other, yeah. like thousands of people. Yeah. And it was quite um, surreal to think that, yeah, you, you just couldn't imagine how this, how it all played out. So, yeah, yeah it was, um, yeah, very interesting trip. And again, I was young and uh, that's when I started to step up my training as well for, um, for selection, which I did the following year. Yeah. Can, can I ask, how did you find the, and I won't use the term, like we all know the term here in Australia, Choco, you know, it's chocolate soldier, yeah. but realistically it's the reservists that held up the military through our massive conflicts. But how did you find working with other part-time soldiers? Like I've seen it from a different perspective with part-time soldiers in the Army and Air Force, um, mm. but how did you find that? Were Like did they bring that outside-the-box thinking that they weren't indoctrinated? And we were talking about this uh, earlier on in another conversation just about, you know, the direct recruiting scheme for two commando and one commando, but mm. did they bring, like, a different thinking scheme? Like, obviously, they were fit and they were motivated to be there. Or like, green. Yeah. Mm, for sure. Uh, I would agree. I think that you would get a, a variety of different mindsets and, and uh, you know, in your in your section, you might have a teacher, you might have a mechanic, you might have a, I don't know, engineer, just who, like all different um, backgrounds that are doing this uh, as not their main job. But as long as, but I'll caveat with this, as long as the, they realise it's not their main job yeah, and yeah. they're not trying to pretend to be some full-time soldier and trying to, you know, be something they're not. So the best, uh, most, I guess, productive reserve teams I worked with were guys that were there um, and fully embraced being a reservist and they knew that's exactly what they were and they weren't trying to be anything else. But uh, it definitely brings you a broader spectrum of um, of problem solving and, and things like that. And, you know, that that – that critical uh, thinking, really, it's that unbiased thought process to provide an execution to, you know, a problem. Yeah, yeah. And you could draw on, you know, when we were in uh, Anode or, or, sorry, Solomon Islands, you know, things would 
say the plumbing would go down or you know, or something, and we, we would, you know, a call would go out, oh, who's a plumber? And guarantee you have one, someone who's a plumber there. <laughs> yeah, who's, yeah, but yeah. They're That's awesome. They're a reservist infantryman but, or, or whatever, but their day job is plumbing. plumbing so yeah. they wow. come in and fix it or electrician or, you know, mechanics working on the car. So, you know, it gives you that kind of flexibility, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right. So you get back, actually, during that time, you're thinking about SASR selection. Is there any other Chocos there that would, you know, planning to do the same thing? Yeah, so I was lucky enough, well, a good mate of mine in the same section, uh, and we we both decided we were going to have a crack at it. So, yeah, we were training together. And, uh, yeah, we just sort of really um, used our downtime in Solomon Islands to uh, step up that training. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. So you get back to Western Australia, then uh, selection 2008. Yeah, so yeah. we had had a good six months, I guess, of pre- back in Australia to prepare uh, – mentally i guess and physically so we just did the three-month training program that they used to give you i'm not sure what they give you now to prep for selection but we used to get a three-month program uh and you know again not really knowing too much we just followed that to the t uh and really uh, had to work on uh, certain things like endurance pack marching and a lot of the more i guess you call green skills that the regular infantry or regular uh, uh, military guys would have uh, had naturally mm. due to their service, which we didn't. Uh, and, and you know, that helped us then uh, iron out a few creases with our equipment and our gear because, you know, you'd have your webbing and, you know, typical Choco's webbing looks good but <laughs> not always practical because, you know, you only have to wear it a couple of days. You know? So, But when you wear it for, you know, a, a pack march that goes for eight hours straight or something, you soon work out whether it's good or not yeah. and <laughs> what points rub and, and where to go. So you would have yeah, run I was going to say you would have run the old thirteen week program. I won't say his name because I don't know if he's serving anymore, but you would have run the old thirteen weeker, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. So that, yeah, that's the one. I think thirteen week like lead up training. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, and we were in Perth, so that was it was a bonus because You're right there. Uh, we got to go to Bindoon and I uh, and stomp around in Bindoon, and and you know we knew that's where most of the selection was going to be. And, yep. Uh, didn't know that we were going to do Happy Wanderer down in the Sterling in the Sterling Ranges. So that was. That was a surprise, but uh, you know, you just deal with it. But that's that's uh, old school. That's old school, right there. Going back to Sterling. Yeah, I know it was. Yeah, I think we were the first one to go back to it, um, and they soon canned it again. Not long after, I think, but uh, it was. Yeah, that was challenging. <laughs> I know a lot of the East Coast guys that go do Perth selection. Uh, this is from Air Force and Army that I've had a lot to do with. It's. A bit of the navigation, like it's just changing the, the you know, obviously, you know, you don't, it's not, you know, adding to subtract, it's subtracting to adding and stuff like yeah. that. And a lot of them come yeah. undone all of a sudden and they're, yeah. they're walking off on total opposite bearings yeah. and I'm, yeah. and I sit there and go, I'll bring you that, undone that would when be, that would 20, be shit. Yeah, it'll bring you undone when you've got a 25k leg or something. But, exactly, you know, yeah. You, and you would be off by quite a bit. So. And you're hiking <laughs> up a 5,000 foot mountain as well. So, yeah. yeah. 
yeah, but that's the benefit, I guess, of the Sterling Ranges is you didn't need to navigate too much because you could see those mountains from a long way away. So. <laughs> you still yeah. had to, you still had to walk. Uh, yeah, I don't want to go yeah. into kilometres. I mean, but it's I, demoralising. I know, I know yeah. how far you've walked, and uh, it's well over a hundred k's. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so in in terms of selection, how did you find it coming from Chocos? Did you think you prepared enough with the thirteen week course? Yeah, look, um, I I felt. Uh, I was fit. Uh, I was super fit, fit as I ever was um, going onto that course. And, and you know, the, the course is designed that no matter how fit you are, they're going to break you down. They'll they'll push you to a breaking point. Um, but it's – and then after serving uh, – sorry, after being DS on a few uh, selections, you know, later on in my career, I realised you could quickly see – who had done the lead-up training, who had done the 13-week yeah, gotcha, training. Gotcha. Even though eventually you got them all to uh, basically exhaustion, you know, where they couldn't, you know, it was, you know, almost couldn't go on. But uh, but you could see the people who had put in the effort um, prior because all the PT sessions are designed around that lead-up program, I guess. So it was – and, you know, that, that was a, a clue – for selecting people would be like, well, you, you can't even put in the 13-week, you know, program, effort to do the 13-week program, like, you know, what are you even doing here? So I felt, um, you know, I not knowing anything else, I followed that to the T and I think it prepared me really well for the course. Uh, obviously, there were moments where uh, I was close to blacking out when <laughs> uh, just the, the, you know, three or four-hour PT session or whatnot. and um, but that, that's what it's designed to do, I guess. Exactly. Mm. Resilience. And obviously the food, you know, food deprivation, sleep deprivation, fuck, that adds to it. Yeah, I, I, and that's uh, the last, I guess, four or five days is the food and no, no food, no sleep. Yeah. Uh, prior to that, you still get fed. Uh, uh, but, but yeah, that, that definitely, uh, the, the no, no food, no sleep, you, your true personality definitely comes out. <laughs> I get hangry pretty quick, so I wouldn't survive. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is that I found and saw with food wasn't an issue. It was the sleep. Like people just start wigging out without Hallucinating, sleep and, yeah. And I think yeah. it's, it's prepared me for later in life when I don't sleep that well these days. So uh, I'm yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, I'm sure, sure it's the same with yourself, Ryan. So. For sure. Like the sleep deprivation was definitely the hardest. I think that has the biggest impact on your mental capacity. Uh, you know, there's all those studies that show that, you know, poor sleep is just the same, you know, driving when you're, when you're super tired is just the same as driving when you're under the influence of alcohol. So, yeah. so just, know, just, for the record, massive- just for the record, are you saying we should drive drunk? Then, yeah, well, better, <laughs> no, better drive a drunk. Than no, I'm joking, I'm joking. That's definitely not. Yeah, definitely. Trust me, my no, part, yeah. Maddie knows yeah. my partner. She's a police officer, so I can't get away with saying that, and I no, don't no. don't uh, support that in one bit. So. No, neither do I. Don't, don't. Definitely don't. But just, but, been, just know, been, I'm just being a dick. That's all. No, it has that uh, impact on your on your mental capacity. I think. Yeah, so. definitely. It, it, you know, simple tasks soon become quite challenging, and uh, you know, whereas food, uh, yeah, it, you get hungry, but you on selection, you're so busy anyway. You, you're just working, working, working. You're not really thinking about food or getting getting hungry. So yeah, gotcha. So you complete the selection course. Um, you get selected, obviously, and then you take on the reinforcement cycle. Uh, how did you find? You know, uh, 
getting into more advanced tactics, obviously, again, coming from the reserve side of things, you're not, you know, every Tuesday you're doing <laughs> yeah. a couple of weapon drills here and there, and then you're straight yeah. into advanced, you know, ad- obviously you did Singo as well, so you did, you know, somewhat tactics back in the day. But even then, like Singo back from in those early days, completely yeah. different to what they do now. They're doing CQB now. They're doing all that yeah. all tactical oh. shooting, all this type of stuff now. It's, so It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Everyone's running around at a high ready. Last exactly. Time I was yeah. Exactly. So how did it's you like, find – That's awesome. Well, I think f- it's awesome. Yeah. So how did you find the reinforcement training, like getting – Thrown literally straight into the deep end. Yeah, uh, exactly. I, you know, you're not wrong there. It was kind of like trying to drink out of a fire hose. It was just <laughs> uh, so much information. And, you know, on the reinforcement cycle, they kind of expect you to – it's a lot of information and it's a lot of uh, skills that they try and impart uh, throughout, the, throughout the cycle and they expect you to sort of take it on and only sort of be told once – and then uh, be competent at it. So, th- you know, th- there was that. There was also the, the added stress uh, of, you know, there's a lot of stress and anxiety throughout that 18-month reinforcement cycle because, you know, you, you were on a daily renewable contract uh, where at, you know, any point if you failed or um, weren't up to standard, you could be, you know, returned to your unit or, you know, booted off the cycle. So, yeah, there was an element of survival there too, where you just you're trying to survive. Which you know, I think it's changed somewhat now in the cycle, where they they encourage a bit more. Uh, you know, there's a few, you know a few no consequence type weeks, or you know where they they learn from failure. But yeah, definitely back when I did it, it was it was kind of a survival which i don't think then you reach your uh full potential if you you, you're full you're always worried about failure and and just trying to survive because you tend to avoid uh activities that you know you're not good at um, which is something that i struggled with yeah is it is anything uh, i actually just back it up a bit did your buddy from chocos as well make it Oh no so he didn't yeah (laughs) no so he yeah he withdrew uh on happy wanderer Yep. Which um, so that's the activity, it, isn't it? Yeah. Where like I can't talk about it, but uh, because not having gone through it, and but that's the activity where you get left alone, isn't it? By the DS, you just got to walk with a heavy pack, yeah, over, navigate, along, correct, uh, and navigate. Oh, yeah, that's distances. right. So that's your that's you're on your own for about five or six days, uh, and you know you just got to go from checkpoint checkpoint, uh, and you've got all your food and that there, and I, I found that. Part and most guys do find that part quite the best part of selection because you just sort of run your own show and you soon realize at that moment if you want it or you don't because there's no one there telling you to move or there's no one there uh, giving you a boot up the ass. So if you don't want it, you won't do it basically. And so that, whilst it is, you know, there's no uh, DS staff and, 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 and all that, but it is the component on selection where a lot of people come undone because there, it is the point where it's totally 100% up to you and your motivation. So you, you, you quickly realize whether you've got it or you don't. Yeah, and it's it's actually – don't you guys get a full night's sleep as well? They don't allow you to move at night. Yeah. It's only during the day. Yep. So. Yeah, so you, you camp up uh, just before, you know, night – nightfall and that and you yeah get a full night's sleep and i mean yeah we not sure exactly how long it was whatever we never had uh we weren't allowed watches on ours so you just sort of go by uh the sun come up sun go down but yeah 
but uh, yeah, definitely felt like, I mean, it was, it was a long, a lot of walking, a lot of K's we covered, uh, but yeah, we definitely got sleep, which was good. And, and, you know, we had ration packs and a lot of water and all yeah. that. So, and, and yeah. just to touch on the selection, how many guys did you start with and how many guys finished? <laughs> yeah. So 160 something, I think started, uh, Selection, 40 finished and 25 got selected. Jesus. And then 15 of us finished Rio. Far out. What was was your, if you can talk about it, like obviously don't, um, you know, you know what you can talk about and can't, but what was your most emotional or toughest moment on Rio? Like I know Rio goes for a long time, but what was your toughest course? Like can you? Oh, toughest course, hands down, is the – it's like our CQB course, I guess, the, the bread and butter for the for the guys, and uh, that's you know the urban combat and, and yeah. all the close quarter battle stuff. So it's it's incredibly challenging. There's a lot of lot of skills you got to pick up, and and you're working in a tight team, and uh, you know it's very easy to get what they call like a safety breach. You know, yep. so and you only allowed a couple of those, and then you you kicked off course. So that's that's one of the courses that we lose. Uh, well, when I was going through, we lost quite a few people, uh, and, and it's definitely very stressful. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So just to confirm, if you are kicked off the Rio, what's the what's the steps there? Do you go back to your regular infantry? It's, can you can you apply again, and do you have to go all the way through selection again, or is it? Yeah, it's it's very uh, dependent on the situation and the individual. So some uh, you would never have to do selection again. I think, um, uh, like if you get to that point, they've realised you know you've got enough for, for yeah. to, to get yep. to that point. Yeah. Uh, but generally, you, you know, you'll either be you know told not to come back. Uh, you know, you're just not uh, really making the grade, and we don't think you're ever going to get there. Or uh more often than not what happens is they just get uh held over until the following year um they do some other courses of and they retrain and then they jump back on rio at the exact same exact point that they uh yeah, that they sort of got kicked off if that makes sense yeah yeah right so how long how long's the total reinforcement cycle 18 months ah uh, look or? it's about yeah 18 months but you know you throw in christmas holidays yeah, course, and, yeah. and breaks between courses and that's not like it's 18 months flat, uh, you know, flat out. So, yeah, and obviously, just for our listeners, you know, we we know it's a, a labour intensive course. Is there anything you failed that you know you failed once or twice, and you you know you finally got it eventually? Oh, y- yeah, hundred percent. There's a, uh, you know, definitely a lot of the the shoots we had to pass to get through the CQB um, course. You know, failed those multiple times. Yeah. Had to just keep trying, keep trying, and. Uh, you know, uh, just basically keep at it. Yeah, but yeah. Um, other things as well, you know, oh, I, I was lucky enough that I didn't actually fail any course, so to speak, but yeah, I gotcha. failed elements just of almost yeah. every course. So yeah. Yeah. I, I've got to ask, know, I've got to uh, ask the question in your CQB course, were you ever just told, and this is uh, through the CQB course that I've done, but were, were you ever just told to grip it up and shoot the black? Yeah, multiple times. That was because <laughs> that's yeah. the best instruction ever, isn't it? Yeah, I, it's like yeah, that's what I'm right trying enough. to do. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. I was like, "Wow, yeah, I am trying to shoot the black, but it's <laughs> not going there." So I don't know. So and no, just, yeah, we, just for the was, listeners, it's some... a black circle. 
that we shoot at it's similar size to a head and it's at various yeah. ranges. So uh, whilst I didn't belong to the unit that Ryan did, I've done a similar course, but uh, very same instructional technique back in the day. And uh, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's like, yeah, just grip it up and shoot the black. It's like, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. So. Yeah, that's right. There was a few sort of instructors like that, I guess, back back in when I did it, but uh, you would not find that now. No. Uh, there, especially when I did it. Um, a few years ago as as an instructor, um, just seeing the, the difference and the progression they've made in instruction and in in how to actually get the most out of guys and how to uh, effectively teach them. And, and, you know, it's changed so much. But, uh, yeah, not, not even when I did it, not all instructors were like that. There was a lot that would sit down and try and help you through it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely. There was a couple. Of <laughs> no, I just had to ask, mate. And again, <laughs> yeah. we don't have to put that in. Or oh, Maddie does the editing here, but uh, doesn't oh, have to put no, it in. No, no, definitely. It's just, I'm sure. it's just a love. I just wanted to see whether you'd heard it because we went through obviously selections on you know, East Coast yes, and West Coast at similar, similar times, times. Yeah, but all been trained by similar people. Correct. So yeah, and it yeah. was just a saying, and I'd sit there and just shake my head and go. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm. I'm trying to hit the target, but obviously I'm failing under the time pressure, and I'm doing this. Yeah, so, you know. yeah, for sure. And then they put, they go. Now you got to put a gas mask on. Exactly. And do it and yeah, put a gas mask on. Like, then you got to take your sights. Then you got to take your sights yeah. off your MP5, and you got to shoot it at a you know, <laughs> moving and stuff like that. So yeah, no, Mate, yeah. Uh, just just quickly, I just uh, seen you have a swig of a drink. Let's have a <laughs> oh, quick, yeah. quick, quick quick plug, mate. Yeah. What, what was well, it? Yeah, I am just actually at the moment enjoying this nice bottle of um, Upshot PX Sherry Cask, which is one Ooh. of our new releases. Yeah, nice. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, our Upshot whiskey matured in a um, Sherry Cask, which yep. is yeah, really, really nice. Yeah, right. And if the listeners want to get this, they head to – Yeah, where do they go? Well, you can go to our website whippersnapperdistillery.com or if you're from Perth, yeah, you can come on in. And uh, most Dan Murphys and all that uh, would have oh, do they? Uh, other yeah, right. products, but yeah. not probably not the Sherry Cast one. You'd have to go online for that for yeah, our, to onto our website. Funnily mm-hmm. enough, I'm going to Margaret River early next year, so I'll be passing oh. by that area. So oh, yeah. I'll have to pick us up a couple of bottles. Oh, mate, I might yeah. fly, I might fly <laughs> no, across <for> sure. <laughs> Well, we could become the sponsor for your, your podcast. Yeah, you what, yeah, every, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're always about the cash hole here. So. <laughs> oh, mate, if you just feed me booze, done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it. Metrics uh, are easy to please, are Yeah. Let's get back to yeah. <laughs> the, the mill life. After your reinforcement cycle, you uh, finally somewhat graduated. You're handed your beret, and what's the feeling like? Is it just like, thank fuck for that? Yeah, yeah. it was a bit. It was a bit like, fuck, can't believe I did it. Can't believe I, I passed. But uh, I remember the CO at that time. Uh, you know, on beret parade, gave us our beret, and then the first thing he said was, "Right, now put that in the drawer and get to work." Like, and, uh, you know, and that's the way it was. We never, yeah, really, that beret never really came out back then. And, I, you know, it was, and then I was a bit apprehensive as well to go to a squadron um, because all I'd known was reinforcement cycle. And now to actually go to a squadron that the squadron I went to just rotated back from Afghanistan. Oh, shit. And, you know, there was guys in the office wounded and, and whatever and, yeah, and there's us, like these rookies just rolling in because, yeah. you know, don't know anything. And, um, yeah, so it was back then it was really, yeah, you just sort of shut up and, and you had to wait to the next trip to kind of prove yourself. 
Yeah, right. So you're post to uh, three squadron, 2009. Mm. Third herd. Yeah, yep. And, third herd, yeah. Uh, your first trip to Afghanistan. So you basically spent about two years uh, just in the squadron before? Well, that, about uh, a year. Yeah, year, we yep. went on team, like on, okay, uh, yep, gotcha. on CT uh, for 2010. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which was good to try and, you know, get a year up basically of training uh, and getting to know the guys. But again, you know, this is a squadron that had just come back from an active tour and, and you know, so, yeah, you, you weren't really fitting in until you'd been away with the guys. So, yeah, uh, yeah, it was challenging. Yeah, and j- just for the listeners, especially the listeners that are not military civilians, when you say team, you're talking counterterrorism, which is Tactical Assault Group West. Correct. Yeah. Yep. And essentially that's just, uh, you know, a, a counterterrorism unit that looks after essentially the West Coast. And yeah. obviously on the East Coast we've got Tag East with yeah. the, the commando Basically, side of things. yeah, offshore rescue. Yeah. and, and HR, like hostage rescue. So, Correct. Yeah. Just, for, just for the listener's purpose. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, the, you see all those cool pictures where they hang on yeah. helicopters on cruise ships and stuff. Oh, yeah. Walking yeah. around with perfect hair. Like Navy SEALs and uh, long hair, don't care, and hands in the pockets and sleeves rolled up, isn't it? Oakley's on your head. Yeah, well, it was back then, but I, I hear it's not like that anymore. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> definitely uh, – I, I got out a couple of years ago. It's definitely not like that yeah. anymore. So you yeah. can't you can't just rock around in the Merrells anymore. So no. uh, your, your first trip to Afghanistan pops up, uh, SOTG 15, uh, Afghanistan 2011, March 2011. Mm-hmm. And uh, how were the the emotions for this? You know, obviously this is your first real deployment. You you did uh, RCB yeah. and then uh, Solis and straight into <laughs> Afghanistan. Ten yep. years later with the SASR, which is just <laughs> just bang it, just banging yeah, it in. It's like just yeah, slinging. It's not yeah. walking a step. It's literally taking ten steps at a time, straight up to the yeah the top. No, shelf. it was a big uh, big challenge, and I was yeah, like very nervous, and, and it wasn't nervous about. Uh, I guess getting into uh, combat or, or getting injured or killed or anything. It was, uh, it was honestly, I didn't want to fuck up. You want to that perform, was the number yeah. one rule. Like, uh, you know, you just, you just wanted to prove yourself and, and, uh, not basically fail. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was a lot of nerves, you know, and I was still fighting that. I still had that sort of choco reputation, I guess that, uh, <laughs> I was fighting against. Uh, so I'd also been, um, you know, involved that year we were on team, actually. I was uh, involved in a couple of alcohol-related incidents. I was not, not proud of it, but uh, was, you know, had a bit of an alcohol problem back then. Yep, yep. And um, no, no judgment. We've all been there, mate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah as yeah, I just yeah. gave a plug about whiskey. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So I'm not sure if I, I say I had a problem back then. I probably still do now. But uh, no, but back then, yeah. So I was you know, young uh, and then you know, drinking a bit and got in a few of fights course, yeah. and, and yeah, whatever. Yeah. And uh, so I was on I was on thin ice, to be honest, uh, at, in the regiment because they don't put up with that shit. Mm. They just they don't have any time for that. So especially from someone who's, you know, I haven't. I hadn't done anything. I hadn't proven myself. I was. I was basically nobody mm. in the regiment. So, uh, yeah. So that first tour was very important to me that I had to prove myself and had to, uh, to, to not only to myself but also to the my teammates and and to the regiment as a whole because um, yeah, I was I was skating on thin ice. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, a little short, little deployment. March, June, July. So you know, good. 
just close to three months. How was it? Was it very, very, very kinetic? Yeah, it was about four months. We did uh, we did about four months trips okay, um, yep, yep. because the operational tempo was so high. You couldn't really maintain it for more than that, uh, and that's just the way the rotations worked out with the squadrons. But yeah, very kinetic. I mean, second job ever, my second time outside the wire, and we got into a, um, yeah a bit of a contact, and uh, you know I was in the right place at the right time. So engaged a couple of uh, Taliban and, uh, you know, one of them happened to be the HVT, the high value target that we were actually targeting, you know, that we were hunting that day. So, you know, after that, that kind of everyone sort of forgot about all the alcohol and <laughs> incidents and that and I was sort of had proven myself, uh, so to speak. So um, in one degree, I still had to... Um, maintain myself and my my skills and my uh you know throughout the whole deployment but you know that being in that sort of fight straight up definitely helped yeah uh, yeah it's was that your first your first contact yeah 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 shit yeah. so your first contact and you whacked the hvt yeah yeah that's, that's pretty that's pretty cool sort of rounds i fired yeah how <laughs> how, how were the emotions so, yeah. how were the emotions after that whole scenario uh, I didn't really know how to, um, what to think, to be honest. Just didn't, carry on. Yeah, didn't think much. I just sort of pushed aside and we went out again the next day. That's just the way it was. And, and I'm not unique like that. I think that happened a lot with all all the SAS operators, um, commandos and, and everyone as well who were in those highly kinetic um, sit, uh, environments with a high operational tempo. It was just... That was today, or that was yesterday, and this is today. Let's move on. So, um, you know, definitely a lot of that stuff. I've as I've finished my military career, I guess, and uh, now I've thought about it a bit more, and some of it's sort of come come, you know, sort of unraveling a bit. But uh, at the time, it was just it, yeah, didn't didn't even think about it. How crazy is it? And I just want this to, uh, you know, it's obviously, yeah, we can talk about it because we've all been there and done that. Um, but just for the listeners out there, how crazy is that adrenaline rush of that first contact and that, you know, use the word hunted and that's what we used to do. We used to hunt down people who were individuals that needed to be taken off the battlefield. And then when you mm. do that, like that, you know, it might sound – you know, very, you know, Neanderthalish, I suppose, but it's like the adrenaline rush of hunting another person and then them having uh, hunted you as well. Like they're firing back at you and, mm. you know, you win that. Like it's, for me, it was uh, adrenaline packed side of things. So, you know, what was like, did you feel that after your first sort of contact, you know, being the new guy and then just obviously slotting the high value target, which is no simple thing being the new guy. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. Adrenaline was pumping. Uh, you know, that's that's a given. I think, and I think that's uh, you know, like you said, what a lot of a lot of guys and a lot of us sort of uh, kept going back tour after tour, yeah. um, cool. chasing that adrenaline because there's yeah nothing really that replicates that. Uh, but the same token, uh, you know, I I never really. I never really enjoyed um, having to, you know, uh, actually end someone's life or, or anything like that. So, 
it, it, that was just a part of the part of the parcel, part of the job, and part of the fact, like you said, they were shooting back. So if we didn't, you know, if you didn't do it, yeah, they were going to either shoot you or shoot your mate, kill yeah, your well, mate. So it was, it was just a, it was the yeah, job but that definitely the, we the it, do, so. yeah, and the adrenaline um, it usually hit. Like, you know, when you got back and everyone was sort of pumped and like, you know, yeah. Grant, if, you know, not, if nothing had bad had happened to our team, you would just sort of be like, you know, you would debrief it, chat it and everything. And then all of a sudden you would just like the adrenaline would wear off and you would. Just you crash. Would, yeah, crash. So, uh, but yeah, for sure. It was a unique uh, feeling and unique experience. Yeah. yeah. And then so you finished that deployment uh, July 2011 back out to Perth. And then deployment to Kabul, Afghanistan, and was through this deployment because this looks a little bit longer. Yeah, this was a longer one, so not as kinetic. And again, as uh, just to, uh, as well, I did listen to your one of your last podcast by um, Nick. His name, Nick Lavery. His last name, yeah, yeah. Uh, absolute legend. Oh, mate. Uh, I mean, and I was feeling uh, talk about feeling nervous and apprehensive. I was like, I can't follow that guy. He has amazing stories, and I mean. You know, ten minutes in, he's already been wounded twice, and yeah. you know, RPG to the back, this. and yeah, I was just like, Jesus, I, I don't have any stories like that. I don't know why. <laughs> so, uh, but as he said on multiple times, uh, you know, the, certain operations get sensitive uh, real fast, of course. And yeah. So that one sort of did. Uh, yeah, plus Dick had a, a real cool Boston accent, yeah. which you know you helped with his storytelling. So. But, uh, yeah, no, so that was an interesting trip as well, not as kinetic and so uh, uh, much longer, probably twice the length, to be honest, but um, spent a bit of time around Kabul, uh, Kandahar as well. Um, got to got to see the bigger picture of the um, Afghan war and see how our operation in TK sort of fit in. Yep. Um, but, uh, and, and, yeah, that was, again, that was, to be honest, that whilst it wasn't as kinetic, uh, to me, that was more of a, a SF or SAS type type uh, role that we did there. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. And you know, during this this deployment, I'm I'm just you know just uh, clashing dates here. Second of July, two thousand twelve. Of Sergeant Blaine Didums was killed. I'm not so I'm not too that sure the, where. Yeah, that was the rotation that I was on. Obviously, different FE at the time, yeah. but uh, yeah, he was three squadron and uh, pretty much a legend, yeah, so- legend in the unit. So. Yeah, so I wasn't um, there at that. Yeah, at that's that what I'm saying. Contact. It was a, obviously different, yeah. different uh, operation. But you know, what were the? How were the emotions there? Like through you guys? Yeah, for and- sure. Um, look, so I won't talk about the actual. Day yeah, of course. Yeah, I yeah. wasn't there. Exactly. No, we're just talking um, about you know, the the the, those the stories mood. belong to someone else. Yep. But uh, yeah, I was part of the squadron, and 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 one of the hard parts of doing those trips to Kabul. And Kandahar, and that was that you're kind of detached from the squadron a bit. So, you know, especially when things like this happen, you, you felt, yeah, you were like, oh, damn, wish I was there. You know, um, not that could have done anything to change the outcome. It was just that, uh, you know, as as you you just have that, you wish you were there. And um, you know, that was really hard for the squadron. Dids was a a, a massive uh, personality, a massive. Uh, you know, hugely popular guy in the regiment, and yeah, it was just um, unbelievable, really, that that it happened. So, um, very, very hard for the guys that were there, obviously, mm. um, and for um, all Dids' close friends, because 
and family, obviously. But uh, you know, he's the guys he did reinforcement cycle with and things like that so, as well. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know, even not even just dids. You know, throughout that whole period, there was multiple casualties through the RAR and yeah, you know, IRR and the two commandos. So it's just far out. Just yeah, it was a. Uh, um, 2011, 2012 was pretty, pretty uh, significant. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, a lot going on over there at that time. Yep. So uh, July ended uh, July 2012. You're uh, again back in Western Australia, back to a bit of training, bit of you know just relaxing, living life. Yeah, yeah. To be honest, when we come home, they were like, "Right, oh, see you later." Uh, you know, come back in a month and we'll start lead up training for the next tour. That was <laughs> oh, pretty no. much it. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, yeah, so, you know, we, we would get, you know, a month or, or so off, uh, spend with the family or whatever. I was, um, single, I think at the time. So just did what I, I knew and went out <laughs> drinking, but yeah. Um, but yeah. And then you come back and start your lead up training for the next trip. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. And then obviously that next trip is SOTG 18, which is December 2012 to March 2013. Yeah. So that was actually a winter rotation, which, uh, um, which I was, I put my hand up to go on, um, you know, because normally the winter rotations actually got done by like one commando, uh, you know, reservists, things like that. Again, the reservists get, get the yeah, yeah. Uh, Christmas period because usually, you know, the winter um, in in Afghans, predominantly it's not part of the fighting season, so it wasn't very kinetic because uh, it's just too cold to do anything. But for this trip, actually, we it was a, a um, got a bunch of actually active SAS guys and decided we were actually going to take it to them um, during winter, so get them – when they were sort of thinking it wasn't the fighting season. So uh, that was a really good, really good tour. And it, we actually turned out to be quite kinetic as well. Wow. Yeah, right. And that, how was the the weather, obviously? I, I was only over, the, over there in, in the summer, so I knew how hot it got, but how cold did it get? Obviously, I've seen pictures. It's just freezing snow and deep snow. Yeah, de- yeah it depends where you were. Um there were areas where we were in the snow in some of the higher areas. Uh, yeah, it was cold. So, <laughs> you know, that that had a whole nother aspect, added a whole nother aspect to the operations. But, um, yeah, and, and I guess uh, one thing a lot of people might not know in Afghanistan is that uh, whilst it is sort of a mountainous desert country, the valleys themselves are actually quite, vegetated and quite green mm. which is what you know we would call the green green belt uh, and that was the, the dangerous area to operate in when when you got into the green because it would be a lot of close uh, quarter fighting because you know it was quite thick so but what a lot of people probably don't know is that the, the green was at its uh, thickest during summer rather than winter winter actually it was just too cold it all mm. died off so the green you know opened up and uh you know you lost all that sort of uh cover and uh concealment i suppose uh during winter yeah yeah well it's funny because we've spoken about obviously afghanistan itself the geographical side of things and all of it, most of our guests have been there and it's just such a biblical place Mud huts, yep. you know, the technology yep. was maybe a 5110 Nokia, a couple of old Hiluxes. Mate, I watched – They grew what they grew in the summer and lived yeah. off it in the, in the winter. So it's, it's yeah. just such a different aspect and of life. 
to just expand on what Ryan was talking about, like some of the mountaintops, they're higher. So our highest place here in Australia is Kosciuszko, and the average height yeah, if you're on top hunting yeah. someone yeah. is higher than our highest top here. And, yeah. And then you're going down into the green zone, which, you know, uh, has all the fighters and that's the living place. And, yeah, their compounds are built over their structures, uh, like – when you say biblical, like it's built over thousands of years. I watched yeah. a 25 mil cannon. I think it's 25 mil. Correct me if I'm wrong from a lav. And I watched 84 rockets go into, and I dropped bombs on compounds and they were built up by that much mud. They couldn't be destroyed. They were the best fighting structures ever. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was. Um, it's inter- interesting you say biblical because uh, often when people ask me what what were the valleys like when you walked through them, and I said, well, it is like going back in time to the time of the when the Bible was written. You yeah. know, it was, and like not a lot has changed. No, yeah. Uh, it, it, so uh, it it is very surreal. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And you know, some of those places in Afghanistan. Um, you know, even the early for the early days, SAS boys. You know, two thousand three that were deploying over to two thousand two. Yeah, two thousand two. Yeah, yeah two thousand yeah. two, two thousand three. On a mountaintop, dropping bombs. Some of those people. places they went to would have been the first time these guys would have seen. You know, well, there's still stories kicking out there that you know later in the time people were going in there and they thought Australians were Russians. Yeah, yeah. Like you still oh, hear yeah. stories about that. They're like, uh, "Are you a Russian?" Sort of thing. You know, it's getting interpreted. You know, in, yeah, in Pashto. It's like, are you a Russian? Like they hadn't seen Westerners in that long enough. That's crazy. And you sit there and pinch yourself and go, that is just crazy. Yeah, for sure. And that was something that I took away from my experience in Afghanistan as well was that, uh, you know, I'm just super lucky and I always will be, I consider myself lucky just to be born in Australia. And yeah. I think that, uh, you know, after seeing, you know, what it's like over there and and what people they had to live through and, you know, I think a lot of people just uh, need to realise that, you know, you, first you should be thankful problems. every day. Yep. First, yeah. first <laughs> one, it's, it's funny that, like, uh, you know, I guess, again, we've all been lucky enough to go to places. Like even Iraq, you know, Iraq's just as mm, bad. Yeah. You know, three-year-old kids selling pens on the side of the road. Mm. My three-year-old's getting pens, you know, like. I blow, up, Decent, if I, you know, I blow yeah. up if I can't get an Uber. Exactly, yeah. So, well, the internet internet <laughs> yeah. drops out and we lose our shit. Yeah, correct. Like, Fuck, yeah. bullshit. It's 2022, why is the internet shit? Yeah, but yeah. yeah, like you said, you're giving pens to a child and that's the best present that they've ever received is uh, you know, yeah, a marker pen. Yeah. yeah. Is it, I remember like when we were there in 2008, we were giving pens out and then they stopped doing it. We're using it as part of one of the components for IEDs. Yeah, well, they are ingenious, so I'll give them that. I don't know, they, they can – Turn anything into an idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, mate. Over over your time on those deployments, did you work alongside any other foreign forces? You know, the British and you know, obviously the US. You know, SEALs or CAG. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Did some um, work with SEALs. Uh, you know, some of their sort of FOBs they were operating out of. Uh, some of the Green Beret guys as well. The ODA, sorry. Um, yeah, you know, we were always pretty close with New Zealand. SAS, JDF2, which is the Canadian um, Tier 1 unit, and, you oh. know, the British 22 SAS or SBS as well. We, yeah. we would sort of sink in with them. Down at, hang out at, down at Graceland with all the uh, stuff down there? Oh, where's – Oh, oh Graceland. Yeah, no, that was there. Canadians, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Never went down there. Did you? Yeah. Nah. Yeah, right. And how did you find working with all these uh, other foreign forces uh, – were they all up to standard or, you know? Yeah, no, they were good. Like uh, the the best, I think, for us as Aussies were Canadians. They sort of – we sort of gelled 
well. Americans were good, but they just never understood our humour. <laughs> yeah, they still and don't. Yeah. <laughs> no, so you know, you would just don't drop caught. the c word, and you're all. Good. Well, yeah, that's that's the biggest one. Yeah. You'd be saying, "Oh, yeah, he's a good C," or yeah. and they're like, Mom, "I'm confused. Do you like him or not?" I don't know. Because so, <laughs> we then, greet each uh, other, we greet each other with that. Uh, yeah, that yeah, word, so. yeah. So, um, you know, they were always a little bit difficult, but uh, yeah, the Kiwis good. British good, yeah. No, it was all, all all good. Everyone was just over there trying to do their best and, and yeah. um, trying to you know get the job done. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, and so that was your last. Was that your last deployment to Afghanistan? Yeah, that one. Yep, the yep. winter one. Yeah, it was. Yeah, gotcha. So just just quickly, like outside of subject, you know, how did you find years down the track? Obviously, we're just going to years down the track. Obviously, the withdrawal out of Afghanistan. What's your, you know, just a quick little soldiers five on your thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. Uh, like anyone who served there, I think it was quite hard to watch, quite hard to listen to the details and and see it end the way it did. Uh, but at the same time, I think if you'd ask anyone who served there, uh, we all sort of would say this was going to happen. Mm. Uh, we all say that you know, the, the the Afghan army and police were never going to. Uh, Stand up. We're never going to be. They were just as much Taliban as uh, as the Taliban themselves. So, you know, you you could have asked a private who'd done one tour, uh, and he would have given you a better strategic outlook on the fall of uh, Afghanistan than some general that um, planned the mission. So, you know, that was disappointing because it was quite. Whilst it was disappointing to watch, it was also like, you know, quite obvious. Was like, well, what did you expect to happen? They didn't even last a week. Uh, and, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, we, we could have told you that would happen because we worked beside them, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, a lot. So uh, When we're assaulting compounds and they're all hiding in the back of the compound. and Yeah, then- or, you know, you had to have people, and this is what a lot of people don't understand as well, we weren't only fighting the Afghan, uh, the Taliban out there, we also had to have people watching our partnering force because they were more exactly. likely to shoot at us yeah. as than the Taliban if they had the chance. Well, so, that's and that's proven. Um, that's proven by the green on blues that we've seen. So, correct. It happened. Yeah, quite a lot. That's um, it. Look at Nick Lavery, as you know, as we we're just speaking about yeah, before. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. So, and this is what people don't understand, and I think that's you know why it was frustrating to watch because. Yeah, it was it was blatantly obvious for anyone who had served there, any any soldier or whatever had served there could have told you that would happen. Um, the other thing that was kind of it, it's very hypocritical what happened, I believe, in that you know uh, you, you would agree to you spend your whole life protecting equipment, mm. right, like radios and yeah. weapons, and and they just you know they tell you that. If you lose this bit of equipment, you have to pay for it the rest of your life. Mm. We're going to kick you out of the army, or we're going to do whatever. So you know, you, you know, it's the worst thing ever to lose a radio or, or whatever. And then they leave entire everything, uh, everything helicopters, helicopters to vehicles Heli- oh, to radios. Jets. Some uh, of the some of the videos yeah. I've seen of Af- like the Taliban just trying to fly the Black Hawks and they're sort of running yeah. them, down and they're like doing. Yeah, you know, like I don't know much about helicopters. They're sort of sitting in the back, dropping in the back of them. But yeah, you know, they're they're trying to power up and they're running down the runway. And I'm just going, <laughs> this is loose. Yeah, right. So you know, it makes you think, like, well, what? Why did I? You know, why did we? All our careers bust our ass um, protecting all this stuff, yeah. and then some general or you know these officers 
they just decide all of a sudden, oh, no, it's okay. The rules don't apply to us. Uh, we're going to just leave all this yeah. stuff behind. So, yeah, that's look, it. And then when you discharge, they're calling up, mate, where's, where's your trunk? you got to return your trunk. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's it's strapped yeah. onto my roof and I go full drive <laughs> with it. it. Yeah. You're not getting it back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, right. So 2013, you get back to Perth again and from there it's basically just straight onto training deployments. Uh, you yeah, did a bit of stuff from there. Bit of stuff was, with um, Canada and Oman with the 22 SAS. You uh, Indonesia, uh, oh, yep. advanced language study tour. <laughs> we were talking about this before. Uh, yeah. uh, you might have to listen to Troy's one. Uh, his episode. He he was a linguist, Indonesian linguist. Or, I did oh, yeah. the short course. I only did six months in my uh, defence okay. down at Point yeah. Cook in uh, Melbourne. It was at the time, which he cheated. Yep, yep. Which I managed to. F- cheat my way through. I drank yeah. a lot of beer and ate pizza, passed the yeah. course, um, went on, I think it was Op Relax at the time. I think oh, it was called yep. Relax. Yep. As a linguist with attached to the Navy. So I was at a, whatever it is, HMAS, whatever it is yeah. in, in Darwin. and mm. But I couldn't speak a word of fucking Indonesian. So my, yeah, yeah. So looking at your bio, so my missus has studied over, she studied like foreign studies and did language over in, I think it's Lombok in yeah. Indonesia. So she still speaks it and she hasn't practised it and then we were having to talk about it before and, yeah, because I'd brought it up with Maddie before. He's like, oh, you're a linguist, aren't you? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I could, yeah. I would I would get on board, the sh- you know, the, the boats that we would, uh, you know, do the clearances on and take the boat people off. And I would sit there and go, yeah, you know, Terry McCarthy, yeah, thank you. And I'd go, Bar Park, sir. Like it was just all broken and it'd be like, yeah. you know, can I have some pizza? How are you doing? Like it, the sentences didn't make sense, but a lot you, of hand signals. Exactly. Too, as yeah. as yeah. you know from the Indonesian people, they're so polite. They don't ever want to say. Yeah, you know, they're all sitting there going, yeah, 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 yeah. And so I'm telling the boarding officer, just making up shit. And then yeah, Maddie's getting stuck in him. He goes, oh, you you might be able to awesome. you might be able to chat to Ryan and uh, talk <laughs> talk some Bahasa Indonesia. And I'm just going, yeah, mate, not a chance. So. <laughs> so uh, no, but- you're right. No, you're yeah, right, mate. Sorry. You're right. You no, go, go, you go on. Yep. Mate, just talking about uh, the the training deployments with the Canadians and in with with JTF two. How mm. you know, how did you find all those training exercises? Yeah, that was um, that was probably one of the best exercises or best trips I ever did. Was the and that was actually in 2010 before I went away. Oh, was it? oh yeah, um, right. That yeah, was right. in that year, that year on um, counterterrorism team uh, that. Me and another guy, another sniper at the time, we we went over and uh, hooked up a JDF two and did a month long exercise in the Rocky Mountains in British Columbia. Yep. Did some high angle high angle sniping, so yeah. uh, which was awesome, uh, you know. But I soon worked out that I knew nothing about being in the snow and you know was about being in the cold. And uh, but the Canadians were awesome, and we spent a month up there and. Yeah, it was, you know, we didn't want to come back. So, you know, riding horses and stuff. So we, we would, you know, get all our kit, our sniper rifle and that, get our horse, ride up to the top of a ridge, do some shooting, uh, you know, and then ride back down on the horse and have a few beers. So wow. that was, we did that for a month, which is awesome. And uh, saw a couple of bloody grizzly bears and oh, yeah, uh, right. all oh, these. Yeah. Right, actually, from the safety of a helicopter, I'll put that in yeah. there because I did not want to. It, this thing was massive and it was just hooking across the snow. So, uh, yeah, definitely would not want to be in the vicinity of that thing. That high altitude 
and low temperature would have just changed your ballistics, like your gouge, something shocking. So Yeah, it did. Uh, it did. It had an impact on it, and I guess that was the point. That was the reason we were there to have a look. And uh, You wouldn't get that to, here in Australia, would you? From the, no, and you uh, wouldn't get the – we don't have the height and angle yeah. of anywhere, uh, I think, to uh, make an, uh, an impact on the data. So uh, hence why we went over there. But, yeah, awesome. That's good training. Uh, yeah, which was a really, really good opportunity and, mm. and uh, met some really great people and um, ran into them throughout my career as well in Afghanistan and back in Perth and, and you know, so kept in touch. Yeah. yeah, gotcha. And then obviously Oman, was it, is that what year was that? That was after, so that was 2016. Yep, yep. Well, 15 or 16 or something like that. And that was, um, so that was the opposite. That was in the desert um, and that was – we went to well, we went over to Hereford first to yeah. twenty two and spent a bit of time there and met the guys and then we went to Oman uh, to what they have there, Camp Green, I believe it's called, and uh, we spent six weeks just doing vehicle mounted uh, tactics through the Omani Desert, which was it was yeah an amazing area to uh, to train in. We did some like awesome live fire activities that you just couldn't do anywhere else in the world and. And then we finished with, uh, yeah, we did some jumping too over there actually, which is yeah. good. Um, DZ was massive because it's just all <laughs> desert. So you, actually, you would have hit some nice thermals though. Yeah, yeah, no, it was it was good. Uh, and then, yeah, we finished with like a ten day sort of uh, uh, driving or you know patrol where we drove all night and slept during the day, drove at night. Uh, and just did that for ten days, yeah, uh, which was good. You know, for for travel over there, does does the SASR fly business class or they fly economy? No, bloody no, they do not. Cattle I'll class, tell you. cattle class. You've got yeah, you got to be yeah. air, you got to be air force to travel business class. Mate. Yeah, yeah, far yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, well, I actually flew. Uh, I've only ever flown business class once, and that was it. Was actually out of uh, Afghanistan, my second tour. Which is, sounds weird, but I was going then to Berlin, uh, yeah, to Berlin yeah, to nice. do some work for another government agency there. And uh, they, that agency flies business class. Yeah, right. So I, I just come out Afghan, had this big beard and, you know, long <laughs> hair and uh, got on the plane, my shorts and <laughs> thongs and whatnot, and uh, out of, I think, every, uh, out of Dubai. And yeah, they were like, "Oh, sir, down this way," you know, ushering me down <laughs> to the economy. And I was just like, "No, no, 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 yeah. I'm business." Get so, down back there, you peasant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. It's, it, isn't it crazy though? You know, the the person you were sitting next to, probably on the plane, had just absolutely zero idea what you know. You know, a day before you were doing, twenty four hours before, you're just, in the you're in the boonies in Afghanistan. Yeah, you know, chasing yeah. HVTs and then just banging you know, it in. Yeah, and then you know the guy next to you just. Completely, it's like a Jason Bourne scenario. The guy next yeah, to you is probably yeah. ordering a cognac and swilling it around in his car. <laughs> so, it's just yeah, yeah. That, and 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 saying that that's you know reason why you just don't judge people. For no. for me, that's why I don't no. guesstimate what anyone's done. Just yeah, treat everyone, respect them. Yeah, it, face it, res- yeah, respect everyone. Um, so during this time, uh, so t- that was 2015, 2016. You know, what's your thoughts there? Obviously, you discharge in 2021. Is there, is the thoughts of discharge in your mind at this stage already? Because obviously, SOTGs, Afghanistan's done. That's it. You know, there's a few yep. little Iraq stuff and you know, a bit of the rubbish yeah. stuff going on. Yeah. Nothing yeah, exciting. Sure. 
We actually discharged at a very similar time. I didn't realise yeah, that. Right. Yeah, to be honest, actually, during that time, probably not. I probably was just drifting, to be honest, was just sort of enjoying, you know, the regiment and, the, you know, we were still busy. We were still – I was still going away, doing a lot of trips mm. to Indonesia, uh, you know, keeping my language skills up. Uh, yeah, we were doing – we were still doing some awesome stuff. So, uh, you know, I was just sort of taking it day by day and, and probably – I, I, you know, the back of my mind probably thought, yeah, I'll get out some stage, uh, but didn't seriously think about it probably until, yeah, 2020 sort of thing. But saying that, I probably uh, drifted for a couple of years where I I probably would have been due to get out. Sorry, we just want to go back. You skipped over something. Mm. Uh, January 6, 2013, Combat Assault Dog Fax was killed during an operation in Afghanistan. Were you a canine handler at this stage? No, so... No, that I wasn't the handler at that. Yep. Um, I ended up that incident was what then uh, basically gave drove me and mm. gave me the motivation then to go and do the canine oh, gotcha. course gotcha. after because yeah, pretty much facts that day saved uh, my life and uh, and the handler's life. Uh, you know, because yeah. we were basically walking into a Taliban ambush and the and facts was able to. Um, he was out front and he was able to get him in the wind and come back and, and uh, bite the guy. So then we were able to, you know, take appropriate action and um, get on top of him. But so after that, unfortunately, Fax got shot point blank. The guy was able to shake him off and, and shot him point blank, which we tried to resuscitate and tried to keep him alive, but we couldn't. Uh, but after that, I, I, I was like, yeah, okay, well, you know, dogs is kind of where I want to spend the rest of my career. Yeah, cool. It's yeah, awesome. And then you, obviously you did the training 2017. Yeah, look, I, um, Ish, yeah. exact year, I'm not sure. I yeah. think, uh, to be honest, I think it was early. I think it was like 2000. I think as soon as I got back from that tour, so like 13, something like that, Yeah, 2013, I think I did the dog course. Yeah, gotcha, and then, gotcha. Yeah. Phenomenal. Like obviously I've never been a dog handler, but I've uh, seen them work with. The relationships you, have, you guys have with your animal and what the animal will do and their senses – you know, there's everything from jumping out of a plane to getting into a helicopter to, you know, they will jump in front of, you know, an individual like what sounds happen with, with facts, mm. obviously. It's just, it's an amazing asset, but it's also oh. it's also best mates. Like the amount of times I hear people when the dogs get retired and they end up with, a, you know, they retire with the handler and they're kept as a personal pet. Yeah, in, yeah. in SOTG... The dog handlers used to have the dogs in the gym with them, so you'd be yeah. lifting, and this dog would just be growling at you because you're getting too close <laughs> yeah. to their handler. And it's like, hey, bro, I'm not doing it. And, and you'd, I'd shit myself because there's these big, you know, I don't know whether they're shepherds or Belgian side Malamise, of things. Yeah, yeah Malamise. Malamise, yeah. Yeah, they would have been Malamise. Yeah, yeah. We didn't really yeah use did shepherds, you, but. Did, Sorry, just you, you worked with a Marco O'Hare rabbit. I've, I did. Yep, yeah. I've, I've, yeah uh, we, as, did, we just recorded a podcast. We did report oh, record a podcast. So. Yeah. Well, he's famous now. He is, no, yeah. He's a TV personality. He is, uh, him and uh, yeah. Blue Andrews. Yeah, yeah. No, so worked with both those guys. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, nice, mate. Nice. So, and then 2020, you get your master's. My master's was uh, business, master's in business oh, is administration. It? Yep. So, my MBA, yeah. So, uh, did that part time uh, from 2017 to 2020, so while I was sort of serving. And yeah, once I finished that, it, it helped me transition when I wanted to get out. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then obviously at this stage, this is where you're actively looking to essentially discharge from the military. Mm, yep. Yep, and you know, did you have any future thoughts of what you are going to do or was it just a, fuck it, I'm, I'm discharging, that's it, Let's, we'll figure it out when we get out there? Yeah, look, I, I, uh, I had some thoughts, but, um, you know, and I was trying to make contact with certain people and, and I was just sort of reaching out to everyone and you know, I was just taking some time off as well, you know, like um, before I get stuck back into full-time work. But so I was just sort of taking it, taking it as it come and, uh, you know, and just as the way the world works, you just meet the right people and then opportunities uh, present themselves. So I was lucky enough that... I um, actually went on to the well, – I, I enjoyed drinking the whippersnapper distillery, the um, upshot whiskey. Yeah. So, I, you know, I was like, oh, I wouldn't mind learning a bit about how to make whiskey, you know. So I just emailed their info at whippersnapper distillery, uh, you know, email and said, you know, I'm ex-military getting out. I've got time on my hands. Uh, you know, I'd love to basically just learn. I didn't think – I'd get much of it, much back, but within 20 minutes, the um, yeah, master distiller and co-founder Jimmy replied and said, "Yeah, come down and set up a meeting." Yeah, right. We need to do that and with then, the gin distillery yeah, here yeah. in Newcastle. I'm going to email Forex. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's um, just start so cold calling distilleries. Yeah, yeah. and um, you know, obviously, I jumped at the opportunity. Went down, met the guy, met him, met met everyone, and uh, you know, started volunteering you know, mopping floors and helping production and things, just get my hands dirty because I just just wanted to do something. And, you know, basically it was just getting in the way of everyone. Uh, but eventually, you know, I got to know Jimmy and he got to know my background and uh, that I'd done my master's in business and, and you know, so he offered me a role uh, as business development, which I did for a year. And then, um, yeah, I think about a year ago too, now he offered me the the – general manager role. Yeah. yeah, awesome, mate. That's, yeah. So just a hell just, of a transition. It, yeah, this, I was just about to ask, like how, again, you've just come from a tier one unit to being a gem of a, a distillery. <laughs> yeah, I can mm. see the transitional, yeah, we're, we're piss wrecks from back in the day being the <laughs> So we can't, it kind of, you kind of finish. It goes but hand in hand, doesn't it? Just going from, yeah, I said, you know, shooting guns to making booze. Yeah. How's that transition? Yeah, look, I mean, the transition's difficult. Uh, I think I was lucky that I found a new purpose uh, pretty quickly with with the distillery, and you know that was able to that was able to shift my focus to to this role. Uh, but transition with anyone, as you would know, is difficult from the military, of course, because you just sort of lose your identity and you, you're not sure where you fit in and uh, you know what you know what to do, but. Uh, you know, I'll, again, I always say I'm lucky and I was lucky to find a purpose and I decided this would be my purpose once the opportunity presented itself. But, you know, a lot of things I learned through the military helped me yeah. uh, in the management role and dealing with people and managing people. And, you know, I spent some time in the operational sports squadron in the regiment, which is, you know, planning all the courses. Uh, you know, I, I was running the yeah. dog cell and, um, yeah, VM, like working at the VM cell and things, so helping and running courses and that. So, you know, logistics and man management and things like that were, you know, things I'd learned and were doing daily. Uh, you know, there's a lot of skills that I think people in the military don't actually realise that they have that are very transferable to, mm. uh, you know, civilian roles. Yep, so at, at the same time, uh, there was a lot of, 
learning to be done as well. Uh, and, you know, I, I learning every day, to be honest. And I, yeah, dealing with, uh, I guess, civilian uh, employment now, civilian employees rather than soldiers, very, very different. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I learned a few yeah. things pretty quickly well, that people weren't, that. you know, I, I, yeah, I couldn't always just do um, the way I, I'd, uh, sort of learnt from the military yeah. and apply those sort of principles wasn't always going to be the right yeah, way to it. go. There's no HR in the military. The HR is the <laughs> no, same. No. The HR is yeah, in the form of right. a left and right fist normally. <laughs> yeah, Maybe not in today's that. culture, but in the old school yeah. side of things, yeah, it was, it was uh, a left-right combo or right-left combo. <laughs> so depending no, on you're right. You're 100% right. And the one, first thing I learnt about HR and I was like, what – what the hell is this What's HR? It, yeah. And then, yeah, and um, it's massive. It <laughs> you is. Know, it, it, it is. It, yeah, so. Sensitive. Just on yeah. that, did you find, uh, talking from a business sense with the transition, did you find that you were a little bit more, because of obviously the regiment you come from, everyone has done a selection course, everyone's gone through, you know, a certain level of basic training. Did you find you were over-trusting your people when they broke that trust on you? I'm just curious whether it happened uh, in your side at all. Uh, are you referring to once I've, Got yeah. out to trusting people. Yeah, yeah, look, yeah. Like, did you just have that instinctive? What the military brings, it's like you trust someone, you trust that person yeah. to the left and right of you. But then all of a sudden, you get into business, and then people are always trying to take advantage of you or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Um, I haven't. I've been lucky enough. I guess I haven't had anyone really take advantage of me, so to speak. But uh, yeah, I understand where you're coming from. I I guess the biggest thing was trying to work with uh, other people that mm. naturally in the regiment, everyone's super is highly motivated. You don't need to motivate them uh, when you're running a team. Uh, you know, you're actually your job as a team leader in the regiment is to like r- rein blokes in. <laughs> um, but so whereas in, in, in now in civilian world, in some cases it's, it can be the opposite where, you know, you do have to motivate people or, um, you know, so dealing – sometimes I, I always wanted to be like, oh, come on, I'll give this guy a chance. Like, you know, let's do let's do it. Let's let's get him up there more responsibility, you know, like expecting that – when you give that responsibility to someone in the military or the regiment, they take it and they want it and they go yeah. and they roll yeah. with it, right? But that doesn't always happen, uh, you know, in the civilian world. Some people are just happy to drift. Yeah, there's a lot of drifters, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> I call them oxygen thieves yeah. and they steal my oxygen, so <laughs> – yeah, mate. Uh, yeah, I just I'll, need to I'll go to a it. shopping center on any uh, Thursday night, and you'll see that, <laughs> mate. I, I run a large security company here in Newcastle, and um, yeah, we've had we've had a few just drifters. Yeah, oh, a lot yeah. of drifters actually. They drift yeah. in, they drift out, and that's it. They're gone. Yeah, right. So it's it's different then. You know, you you I was probably putting a lot of effort and time into people that uh, you know didn't really weren't going to use it, weren't going to take advantage of it. So. Um, you know, I quickly worked out who's who's sort of self-motivated and who's going to want to grow with the business and, and yeah. come with us on this journey. And then awesome. I thought, okay, that's where I'll put my uh, energy. Yeah, yeah awesome. Mate, sure. And uh, you're the date manager for the Wandering Warriors as well. Yeah. last for the last seven yeah. months-ish. Yeah, actually, it's probably about a year now. But the yeah. Wandering Warriors is uh, so – a non-for-profit organisation. It's starting Queensland, I think, uh, from the SAS Association branch there. started uh, initially as a sort of fundraising, purely fundraising uh, organisation that would then donate funds to, uh, you know, other 
ESOs or ex-service organisations. Mm. But over the years and through a lot of hard work from guys like Quinton Masson and Dan Parker and uh, a few others, oh, Harry Moffat, um, you know, they they actually became a organisation in themselves that offered uh, education and uh, re- respite welfare and, and mentoring programs. So, you know, a lot of uh, offering like uh, fully funded master's degrees for anyone who served in so command. So, te- you know, we usually focus on those people who have served in so command because um, that's the sort of constitution, I guess. But, uh, you know, it's also open to a broader uh, supporting broader military people as well. Yeah, Harry Moffat, uh, Eleven Bats, or his book. I think it's labelled. So, absolutely, yeah, I, absolute well, yeah, I signed three of yeah. those bats. Oh, did you? I yeah. Did so, you get a? Well, did he you was, get a commission on that? Yeah. Well, no, I'm still waiting. <laughs> for some, I don't know. But yeah, so he was my team leader in that ah. um, that uh, trip to Kabul. Yep. Mm. Mm. So yeah, I know Harry pretty well. He's good. Yeah, good guy. Yeah. yeah, right. No, awesome. Yeah, definitely definitely keen to get him on. I've, I have been chatting with him Yeah, a no, while back. Yeah, he's, yeah. Before he's I went got to a hell US, of a so. story, like yeah. even from when they were chasing down a certain person in Timor in 2006 yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. He yeah. was, oh, yeah. He, was, he yeah. was over there having a brew with him and next minute they're banging it in trying to yeah. schwack yeah. this yeah. yeah, because yeah. their governments couldn't make up their mind on what they wanted to do. Yeah, so. yeah. no, I've, I've heard about these stories. Yeah, awesome, mate. So we've been talking for a good hour and almost 30 minutes now. It's been absolutely mm. fucking hectic and it's super cool like this has been really really cool and i'm i'm just pumped to get back into this this is the third season of zero limits podcast and this one has just been sick like yeah, awesome mate nice. you've you've had a hectic career and yeah mate from from, from a little town in waruna you've uh you've, you've done your, your little country town proud <laughs> uh, yeah. do, do you go, do you get to go back there and be like a you know, a guest speaker or like a celebrity i suppose yeah. like a military you know some type of celebrity from there <laughs> Well, I go back there, but definitely not a celebrity, mate. Right? <laughs> definitely, they're just you know, um, yeah, old country people, mate. They, they uh, yeah, I go back and um, you know, with every country town, their the football club yeah, is massive, yeah. right? So I go back and every now and then play a game of footy. Have a with them. Oh, do you get first with, grade or are you straight in the resis? Like uh... resis, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 38 now. <laughs> so, but resis is tougher because uh, everyone just like side swipes each other and punches each other in the face. So, yeah, but that's that's what I do because I'm old and slow. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but um, no, so I get to go down and play footy with mates I went to school with and and oh, things awesome. like that. Catch yeah, awesome. up, keep keep connected with that side of things because. Yeah, lost lost contact with them for quite a while while I was sort of uh, in the regiment. Yeah. 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 So, mate, we've got three final questions for our guests and uh, most guests or all guests get these questions. Mate, first question is, you know, what advice can you give to people just to keep on keeping on, you know, complete any goal they set their mind to? You know, for yourself, you know, you did one of the most arduous courses or selection courses in the fucking world. There's no doubt about it. And it makes or breaks a lot of fucking human beings and it has for a very long time. So, you know, what advice can you give to people just to – and obviously now you're killing it as a GM for a – a distillery and, you know, um, changing lives with uh, the Wandering Warriors as well. So, you know, what advice can you give people just to, just to get it? Yeah, for sure. I think the biggest thing uh, would be your mindset. And, and when I say mindset, uh, about uh, the way you uh, approach failure, I think this is something I struggled with uh, in the early parts of my career and, and uh, probably limited 
what I could have achieved. I think I could have achieved probably more if I had more of a growth mindset and was able to, um, you know, look at failure uh, as more of a learning uh, uh, point rather than something to avoid. So I would actively go out of my way to avoid things that I thought I would fail rather than uh, get stuck into it, fail, learn, uh, and, and you know, grow from it. So, yeah. you know, not everything's going to, not not every task, especially in the regiment, not every task will warrant that. Some tasks are no failure. Uh, you know, you, you, you're you not going to grow from them. You just can't fail them. But there are certain tasks that, uh, you know, throughout your life, I think it's it's quite important to have that mindset. Yeah. It, just to go back into the podcast, that's the reason why I brought up, you know, what parts of the Rio did you fail and stuff, but mm. you know, it's just it just to show that, you're a human being and not a robot and you are, you know, you're destined to fail things, but it's the way you pick it up and keep going and correct those uh, failures. Yeah, correct. Uh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, awesome, mate. And second question is, you know, what's the plans for the future? Obviously, the GM for the distillery and, uh, you know, Wandering Warriors, uh, state manager for that. So what's the, what's the plans? Yeah, the distillery, we got uh, big plans where, you know, hopefully we expand soon. Uh, you know, we're still in the planning phase of that but um you know hopefully you know watch this space we'll we'll start um taking on other venues and whatnot but you know for me in the distillery it's just really refining my skills and refine learning the the industry more and and really can consolidating my my spot as the general manager uh you know building the trust and respect of the employees here as well um in terms of wandering warriors Definitely, it's a bit of a blank canvas over here in WA. We don't have much presence, so that's why I've sort of taken it on. So uh, definitely talking to some tertiary uh, education institutions like Curtin University in UWA about some education programs. And uh, and one that I find quite exciting too is a I'm talking to North Metro TAFE, so vocational-type training. So there could be some opportunities there for some uh, veterans to do some you know, vocational training, all fully funded. And, uh, yeah, so that's that's where I'm sort of taking that. The other one that I've sort of just started as well uh, is I did the Australian Institute of Company Directors course not long ago and now have started as a non-executive director for Working Spirit, which is a uh, veterans employment agency over here in WA. Yep. And they're doing some really, really good good work and they're teamed up with RSL WA and really they are basically you know connecting veterans with uh, employers on the outside and helping with that transition phase which I think is yeah super important so wandering warriors I think I'll help try and help with education and training if people need to upskill or reskill mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and then working spirit is you know putting uh, people in, in actually face to face and contact with the employers yeah, yeah awesome mate that's awesome far out. Yeah, that's keep driving yeah, forward. It's like a modern day Mother Teresa. <laughs> oh, yeah, hardly. <laughs> just yeah, no, just battle, no. battle, battle prepped and ready. Well, to go. back on the one note, if you do need an East Coast distributor or want to start up an East Coast distillery, I'm sure yeah. Maddie and I will uh, <laughs> help out with that. Yeah, well, but a distributor doesn't just get it and drink it. They have to actually distribute <laughs> oh, it. Wow. So. We've still oh, got to taste it. We've got to taste it. <laughs> wow, yeah. it's, it's merchandise. It's uh, quality control. Or quality control. Yeah, you've done, <laughs> yeah, the, no, you've, done no. you've done the director's course. Yeah. Come on, mate. Hey, we've shipped yeah, over twenty bottles yeah. and they're all gone. <laughs> yeah. 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 Why have we got no money back for these twenty <laughs> bottles of uh, whiskey? Um, yeah, don't be wrong. I, 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 uh, I do. Um, 
you know, try and taste all the whiskies and that. They don't ask for my opinion, but I <laughs> yeah. just thought, you know, it's, yeah. I should know what they taste exactly. like. Exactly. Uh, help, yeah. Helping out when you need to help out. That's yeah. <laughs> and, mate, the third question is just to bring you down to the, the human level, mate, and you're a badass, mate. You served in SSR. You, you know, on your first job, you whacked oh. the HVT. Done every course known to. Done every course. In the military. You, yep. So. You, you're, you're an absolute war dog. And as I said, just to bring you down to the normal human level, Tell us something that people don't know about you or, you know, a guilty pleasure. You know, do, do you eat ice cream late at night in your jocks and, or do you watch The Notebook? You, you're, you're a fan of The Notebook. Oh, God, guilty pleasure. Look, I, you know, there's probably not a lot that people don't don't know about me. Huh? Uh, <laughs> but, um, geez, that's a tough one. Um, look, I, you know, I am a human being like everyone else and I've never pretended I wasn't. Um, but, look. You're a soft spot for Mars bars or, you know? Oh, I've got a huge sweet tooth, but I don't think that's guilty pleasure. I just think that's, Oh, if you eat like a ton yeah. of it every night. Well, I would if it was it's available. Like, yeah. I'd do it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Uh, my missus has to hide <laughs> the chocolate around the house. I can't, you yeah. know, otherwise I'll eat it. But, um, ah, look, you know, I've got a, you know, I've obviously got my retired working dog at home. Yeah. So I've got a, a big soft spot for dogs and, and for and for my dog specifically, Kenny, you know, Kenny, <laughs> yeah, he's a character too. Like he was a bit of a, a um, regiment favourite as well. A bit of a funny dog. Some days he would be, you know, awesome at his job, and other days he would be walking into walls and stuff. So he's uh, he's a funny, funny character. But you know, I've had him for a long time. He's twelve now, so um, you know, he's starting to slow down, and it's yeah. really, really hard to to watch. But some of the stuff I put him through, uh, like you mentioned, you know, the free fall, the, yeah. the, the, you know, I remember one in particular, we, you know, off at night off a helicopter onto a, a moving, uh, cargo ship, fast rope down onto a moving cargo ship out off, off the coast of, uh, Sydney somewhere. And yeah, he, he, you know, he was sort of attached to me and we, we down the fast rope and then cleared the engine room and did all this stuff. And, you know, just to put a dog through that kind of stuff is uh, is crazy, you know. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Can I uh, ask? And now, yeah. I was going to say, can I ask the name Kenny? Does it yeah. come from Kenny Powers? Like Kenny is he Powers Kenny Powers or... the dog? We all know well, who I, Kenny Powers is. And Yeah, uh, I, I wish. Did he just, did uh, he yeah, just, did he just fucking awesome, send it but... <laughs> all the time? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to go fast but... and I'm going to fucking send it. <laughs> he did, but unfortunately it doesn't come from that. But oh. it's it's uh I think because the breeders name them, right? Oh, so okay. I'll do that. He got named uh K K E N I and okay. uh, oh, okay. the breeder the breeder said Kenai. And when he came and you know, he was just a sometimes just a bit of a retard. So they went, <laughs> you know what? Kenny's a better name than <laughs> yeah. Kenai. So yeah. <laughs> So we renamed him Kenny because it just suited him a bit better, you know. Yeah. But and I, when I first got him, I was a bit disappointed because I was like, "Fuck!" Like everyone else got these wicked dogs, <laughs> like you know Odin and you know I don't know. All you these got Kenny, killer and, and I got Kenny. And I was like, "What the hell?" <laughs> so no, but perfect match we were. And look, yeah. So he's at home with me now and, oh, and family, awesome. and um, he's uh, he's taken to retirement real well. Uh, he he would be the most useless guard dog. At the moment, uh, if someone broke in, so uh, he just wants pats all day long, yeah. and you know, so that's my, I guess, bringing it down to the oh, human awesome. sense. I guess, um, you know, I spending time with him and and uh, yeah, 
No, awesome, yeah, mate. Well. That's, that's, that's super cool. Mate, again, you know, I appreciate you uh, coming on the show and, you know, giving us your time. I know you're a busy man being the GM and just drinking booze all the time and uh, <laughs> taste testing, I should say. And, uh, yeah, mate, like you're an absolute, you know, great dude and far out, mate. Stellar career, absolute stellar career, and you've, you've, done, you've done the country proud, mate. Appreciate it. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity to come on and chat with you guys. Uh, yeah, it's been awesome. Thanks yeah. very much. Awesome, mate. And, uh, yeah, we'll definitely stay in touch because, uh, yeah, we'd like to have a sip. Yeah, I'll be over. Yeah, for I'll, sure. I'll be over that way early next year. So yeah, there you go. I can take your sip if you don't come <laughs> over. <so. laughs> All right, mate. Sounds good. We'll chat to you soon. No worries. Thanks, Cheers. guys. Troy, how about that, mate? Uh, Ryan Wilson from the SASR, uh, Special Air Service Regiment. Mate, that was a, a cracker. He was a reservist in the military, went through – you know, one of the premier, there's two premier sort of special forces regiments here in Australia. He went through. So three area and uh, <laughs> CSR. <laughs> no, I was going to say Airfield Defence Guards, mate. The, the, the RAFSAS. The RAFSAS. <laughs> but um, no, he went through selection, passed that. Just a really humble human being who didn't mind accepting his faults and, and spoke to us about how he corrected his faults and how it pushed him through life. Yeah, exactly, mate. Really uh, intelligent uh, and humble human. Mm. Uh, and, you know, when, when he sent his bio over, I was just like, holy shit, this guy's uh, he, he's, he's done a lot. Um, you know, comparing, obviously, comparing to a lot of other SAS guys, you know, some guys did fucking 10 you know, 10 plus trips. He did the three, but even on that first one, he talked about literally oh. first contact, you know, from a re- reservist to getting to your first contact, not even that, sending the HVT down for a dirt nap. That's, yeah. I, I, on his first. From a military's perspective, and this might sound funny to the listeners out there who aren't military, but that's what dreams are made of. Like that's <laughs> that's an operator's wet dream right there. So you're you're on a you're dreams on a kill caption. can come true. <laughs> you're on a kill capture mission, and you're just yeah. you're, you're just uh, you know in contact, and you're plugging the oh, your target. Crazy, crazy, and then obviously you know for the SASR and most special forces around the world, majority of their trips are fucking kinetic. Yeah, like job on. Job on every time. Every time they're out, there's a job on. Yeah, and I know personally the rotations that he did, and I know they were kinetic. Like most of the SOTGs were kinetic. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it was a little less kinetic over the winter period, over the of course, you know, yeah. December months and bit stuff chilly. like that. Yeah, yeah. a bit, bit chilly. But bit, uh, bit you know, chilly. as he mentioned, they were they just said, no, stuff it. We're just going to go. That's it, yeah. Not let the leadership. That, last, that yeah. last one, they're just like, fuck, yeah, we know it's like negative 20, but we're coming, we're coming to fucking find oh. you. Yeah, and in altitudes higher than – yeah. Mount Kosciuszko here in Australia, yeah. which is Australia's highest mountain. So yeah. Oh, that's yeah. ridiculous. So, yeah, mate, and, and obviously during this time he was studying at Murdoch University or in the earlier days, 2002, 2006, and graduated with a, a Bachelor of uh, Administration. Yeah. he's Business, so, bin, business Administration. Yeah, say. so he's done that. He's done the, the short course, like not the short course, but the comp- company directorate course, I think he named it, as well as his advanced language study tour in Jakarta. Yeah, so like he can he, really speak Indonesian unlike someone else. <laughs> <laughs> we won't mention We won't talk about that anymore. I've embarrassed myself enough over that one, mate. Best story I've ever heard, I reckon. <laughs> and, yeah, he, then he gets his master's. Masters in uh, business administration, yeah, which yeah. is, you know, fucking hell. Yeah, that's no small feat. And then goes on to, you know, be a GM of 
a company and then go do work for a not-for-profit organisation Yeah, which, well. yeah, again, we spoke about his transition, you know, again, transitioning from, you know, a, a special forces unit, you know, one of the best in the world to becoming, you know, working at a distillery of all places. Yeah. Which is not your normal transition. You know, most guys get out, get into security, PSD work. Yeah. Uh, you know, start bodyguard. A, start coffee companies or start run coffee. T-shirts, yeah. uh, apparels. Yeah, so. exactly, exactly. Or meme pages on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he's, um, yeah. We won't mention those meme pages, will we? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Some of them keep getting shut down anyway. <laughs> yeah, and, and he, yeah, he, he, and now he's the general manager of this uh, distillery as well, which is, you know, super cool. And, and oh, I'm a, actually jealous because I don't know if actually, mate, I don't know if I could do that job. It's that zero limits mindset, which is what you produce with the podcast. And the other good thing about it is, you know, he might sponsor the podcast so we could get free booze. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only reason why I started a podcast. <laughs> we get sponsored by booze companies. <laughs> Mate, and yeah, obviously the Wandering Warriors, he's a state manager. He said, you know, you know, obviously when he's in his bio, we've, you know, Going forward a few months now. So, yeah, almost 12, 12 months-ish helping out Wandering Warriors, uh, which is, you know, again, just a, just a humble a humble thing to do is, you know, give back yeah. um, to his community, the Special Forces community, which is super cool. Yeah, so if you want to get in contact with him, which, fuck, we didn't ask him actually. If you want to get in contact with Ryan. It's Whippersnapper Distillery. Yep, is that's what he works for. That's yeah. Um, yeah, you could probably, I guess, yeah, email them. Info <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, I don't have his. Uh, probably not the best thing. L- Otherwise, you can, you or... can, yeah, head to his uh, Instagram, which is Ryan Wilson underscore nineteen eighty four. He's an eighty four baby, just like me. That's where the cool cats, the cool cats, nineteen eighty four. Yeah, I guess that is the only way to get in contact with him is through those means. Otherwise, you can reach out to us on Instagram and Facebook, zero.limits.podcast. And, uh, you know, if, if you want to listen to, not even obviously you're listening to this one now, if you want to listen to previous podcast episodes, head to Spotify, Apple Podcasts. All the big podcasts. Yep, Stitcher. Channels. Stitcher. Audible. Oh, it's Audible. Audible. Jeez, I need to learn. It's Amazon. It's, I think it's Amazon. Is it? It's yeah. Amazon, yeah. Yeah, I need to learn more about this podcast. I don't know. If, there's, if there's, I'm going to be on the other there's end of the There's heaps mic. of other ones. I don't even know what they are. Yeah. I've got no idea. I've never even heard of them. But there's plenty of them. Just, again, you can jump on our website to zerolimitspodcast.com. Again, it's got all the previous episodes. It's got the recommended episodes. Uh, We've had some fantastic guests on, you know, a whole bunch of SASR blokes, two commander, combat controllers like yourself. Well, I'm the only combat controller, mate. I'm one of a kind. (laughs) No, the biggest ones yet. Have on, and you know we can talk about some of the future guests as well. I yeah, suppose. yeah. Like, so we we just stay tuned because we've got a whole bunch coming up. Um, astronauts, oh, you know, to say the least. Not to mention, you know, more pilots. Not um, to mention uh, fireys from nine eleven. Firefighter from nine eleven, which is going to be. Uh, but yeah, so just stay tuned because we've got some absolute bangers coming up. Troy's definitely going to be co-hosting a lot more. He's going to get his own little setup in his house. Back in Brizzy, uh, you know, when he can, he'll come back down this way. He is from this way anyway. Yeah. He's got a whole bunch of friends down here, so definitely he'll drop in and uh, we can record through here. Otherwise, yeah, just stay tuned. Get ready for this season because it's going to be an absolute banger. Season three, absolute banger. Anyway, guys, thanks for listening. Actually, if you could head to Apple and Spotify, leave us a review. Essentially, it just helps us. You know, get the word out there and, you know, spread to the right ears that it needs to get to because it is helping people. We do get a lot of messages on the Instagram. We try our best to reply to everyone and uh, it's just, you know, great to be 
putting content out there that everyone's liking. So stay tuned and uh, we'll see you next time. See ya. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. Now, quickly, just before you go, I want to tell you about Three Zeros Coffee. Now, as you know, I like my coffee how I like my men, long and black. <laughs> However, lately, I've moved into the cold brews. I'm loving it, obviously, because the weather here in Australia at the moment is quite hot. So what I've been doing is using the seasoned campaigner pour-over filter bags, literally rip open the packet, put the filter bag over my coffee mug, few ice cubes, pour in some hot water, let it cool down, add a sugar or two just to make it sweet, and I fucking love them. Honestly, you get the kick that you need out of the caffeine, and the taste is great. So if you want to get yourself a supply of coffee, head over to 30scoffee.com.au. From there, you can choose whatever you want. You've got the beans, you've got the pour-over filter bags, got some merchandise, and just to let you know that a percentage of their sales is forwarded to organizations that support first responders. So while you're getting your coffee, you're doing a good deed by getting some of this money to the first responders and where it needs to go. While you're there, don't forget to use the discount code 3ZLIMITS. Now look in our bio, you see that discount code, use it, get your discounts. So again, jump on to 30scoffee.com.au and grab yourself a supply.